0: Welcome to Writers Talking TV, brought to you by the Writers Guild of Canada. I'm Dennis McGrath. Insanely good, smart, funny, and touching. Simply the best new comedy of the fall. Those are the kinds of reviews any writer would love to get. And CBC's therapeutic comedy, Michael Tuesdays and Thursdays, has garnered those raves and more. A story of the unconventional relationship between doctor and patient The show is also about the things that hold us back and how we find a way through. It's smart, engaging, unabashedly Canadian, and unexpectedly hip for a show on a public broadcaster that's pushing 75. Tonight we're joined by one of the show's stars and creators, Bob Martin. We're very, very pleased tonight. Uh, WGC is pleased to be presenting this, Writers Talking TV. This is one that I wanted to do. Since before this show premiered, but um, but certainly since the first time I saw it, um, uh, Michael's Tuesdays and Thursdays. One of the reviews uh, that was that was published about the show when it came out basically uh, said, "This is the best comedy of the season," and and I think they specified they were talking U.S. shows and Canadian shows as well. Which, because we're all Canadian, that means a lot, right? <laughs> yes, um, right. but uh, but we're very pleased to welcome Bob Martin here tonight. Hi. Uh, So let's explain a little bit of how this is going to work. We've got two episodes we're going to screen tonight. We're going to talk for a while. Then we'll screen uh, the pilot, and uh, and we'll actually also be uh, watching the uh, episode that actually airs tonight. So if you forgot to set your PVR or your VCR... I haven't seen it call. yet,
1: so it's quite exciting. Is this on? Does this actually, do anything? No, yes. oh, it is? Not a problem?
0: That's the great thing, too. I haven't yeah, seen this seven- episode yet, so it's
1: uh, it's exciting for me, too. Or it'll be terribly disappointing. We'll see, I guess. Then. As it happens.
0: Yes. Um, anyway, so uh, before we get started, too, uh, while we start a talk, we have a little tradition here at Writers Talking TV. It's uh, free to you, and uh, and that's why we we do our pledge drive. And No, it's not a pledge drive. Uh, we actually collect for a charity every time, so if you want to reach into your pockets, and uh, and pull out your loonies, your toonies, any sort of spare change you might have. Uh, Bob is designated this evening. We're going to be conne- uh, collecting for the Canadian Mental Health Association. Very Seems appropriate.
2: appropriate.
0: So uh, pass the hats, and, uh, and we'll get started. So welcome. Um, so I guess the, the logical place to start would be uh, in probably what is one of the most unusual uh, sort of credits I've seen on a, on a television show. I'm not sure I've ever seen anything... Vaguely like this before, which is that Michael Tuesdays and Thursdays is based on the neuroses of Matt Watts. Yes. So that's let's right. uh, let's explain a little bit of the genesis of that and and how the show came to be. Okay. Well, f- first of all, just ask how many people have actually seen the show,
1: and don't be. Oh, good, great, there great. You go, good. excellent, excellent. Statistically, um, you know, not accurate. <laughs> uh, um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it was based on the neuroses of Matt Watts. Well, what, what happened was that um, Jenny Hacker, of the CBC, approached me. Uh, they had an initi- initiative where they, uh, they wanted to work with, they sort of targeted writers they wanted to work with, and they, they had this thing where, um, give us three ideas and we guarantee one will go to pilot. And uh, I was like, okay, that's pretty good. I like that. Uh, so um, I, I actually was just walking in the park with Jenny um, who is also a friend of mine um, and I was telling her a story about uh, uh, Matt Watts and this uh, uh, hes he's been in therapy, he talks about it so everybody knows about it he, and he is in cognitive behavioral therapy and he had gone on uh, this exposure that involved going into a mall and asking people for the time because he had a fear of small talk and he he, he described this thing to me in great detail and I just thought it was fantastic and I I, I thought it was a really good idea for a documentary, actually, because just the idea of uh, the people in the mall uh, n- being completely unaware of the drama behind this simple, mundane question of what time it was was so fascinating to me, and I just sort of pictured cutting to the to Matt and the psychiatrist and then back to the uh, people in the mall. But but as I was talking to Jenny, we, we, we realized, oh, this is actually a good idea for the series, this is this will be the first pitch, um, and uh, so I quickly called Matt and said, "Can I use your life in this way?" and <laughs> and uh, and he was okay with it, and actually wanted to be well. Don and I discussed it later on, and we, we wanted to protect him. We wanted to say, it "Doesn't it's not you? It's a character. You don't. No one has to know that this has anything to do with you." Of course, it's subsequent to that, Matt has told everyone on Earth that the <laughs> character is based on him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was one of those ideas. Uh, it's, it's the kind of thing that I like because it's really based in character and if you want, you want to write something over you know, multiple seasons, hopefully, then you really want it to be character-based and not have to depend so much on story. So it just seemed to lend itself to series television. Um, and so I, I wrote it up quickly, a sort of one-pager description, and uh, they loved it. And actually, everything happened extremely fast, which is so unusual for the CBC. Because uh, I've had experiences with them before, where you're just trapped in development hell for years. Uh, but there seems to be, a, shall we say, more reasonable staff. And I, okay, <laughs> but, but but I, but I uh, need
0: to. I've heard this from various other people, but, but we need to just just get it on the record, um, just because I couldn't believe it when I heard it. From that walk in the park to when you shot the pilot, how long was that?
1: Oh, uh, I, I'm not exactly sure. It, it, it was um, it was a few months. So it was like a, two or three months or something. I, I, wrote, I wrote the I, pilot quickly. Can I get an
2: ooh, ah? <laughs> I know. Well, no, the more, the
1: more significant thing is between shooting the pilot and, and sh- the beginning of principal photography on the series, uh, that was like you know, um, October to June. Right. So in that period, we had to fully conceive the thing, and because I was in it uh, and couldn't, couldn't write the scripts during the shoot, really, I could only uh, rewrite them. Um, we had to uh, write, we had to have 12 scripts before we began. So it was an, an incredibly quick process, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we, and it was a great exercise for someone who compulsively rewrites because um, we had to stick with things. We had to just make decisions and just go with it rather than question our decisions. So it was actually a really good it's exercise. It's funny because
0: one of the things about that defines the story that I love, well, the framing device that you use, of course, is that. Is that your character is writing a book about uh, about Michael, and uh, yes. and the interesting thing about that is we see, <laughs> you know, I love the, the you're you're actually dictating and composing the book and making terrible word choices and terrible yes. puns as you go along. So it, so it, even though you had to stick the script, it it it, may, it gives it sort of a looser feel. That's kind of odd. That's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, it's true. There's a the, I, I I was influenced, or you could say I stole the idea from. This British series called uh, "People Like Us." I don't know if you mm-hmm. s- anybody seen this, but the the interesting thing about that series it's a sort of documentary mockumentary thing where they uh, uh, interview a film crew sort of interviews ordinary people in their jobs, and uh, it's it's sort of the ultimate unreliable narrator. His grammar is terrible. Uh, he interacts with the people that he's uh, interviewing in a bad way. There's a, they do this. Uh, they they did an episode about pilots. And uh, it became apparent very quickly that he had um, a fear of flying. (laughs) And he's off camera and you can hear him having the breakdown. I just thought uh, it's a great idea to just um, infuse narration with personality like that. So that's what I was trying to do. And actually, and the narration has evolved. It evolves throughout the series. He becomes, as as the sort of bullshit falls away Mm -hmm. from David, like in, and he becomes more honest with himself and everything. The narration becomes straighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the beginning, when he's trying to be profound, it's uh, it's ridiculous.
0: Right, right. Um, I uh, talk a little bit more, if you can, about that. I'm fascinated by, by the, the idea of the speed with which you had to work here. You know, um, I'm a bit of a uh, I'm a firm believer in that in the doctrine that you know you never finish a script for television. And in fact, one of the reasons why I probably write television rather than movies is that the idea of working on one script for about nine years in a movie, uh, Like I, I, I wouldn't make it. I would kill myself. So uh, I right. love the fact that on TV, at some point, you got to shove it out the door. Yeah. But do you think that uh, – tell me a little bit more about how, how that um, – does it change the way you express your ideas? Does it get you closer? Do you think that something that is the blurt of truth? How does working that fast uh, – how did it affect you?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's, um, I've been really interested in collaboration, the idea of collaboration over the last five years or something, because I, I always thought of myself as a, as a poor collaborator. And then I realized that all my best work has been done, uh, has been collaboration of some sort, mm-hmm. um, and working, I do a lot of work in musical theater and, and, uh, that's the ultimate collaboration for a writer because there's, there's huge portions of the story that you can't, that you can't express in words. Somebody else does it. So you have to hand over the story and character to the lyricist, basically, mm-hmm. um, So, uh, so, so this is a, a similar exercise in, in giving up, you know, I mean, uh, Don and I basically, I mean, I, I, I created the thing, but, but Don, uh, and I made it together. I mean, his, his visual aesthetic and he was in at every story meeting, he didn't write a script, but he was hugely influential on how the story was formed. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and I, I, I happily handed him the project once I was on camera and couldn't do as much work, mm-hmm. and uh, so so this was this was an exercise in in, in collaboration, uh, you know, as I think all television is because right. it's always a team effort. But in this case, uh, you know, it's an extreme example of that. I think. Uh,
0: I've been thinking a lot about the the idea and talking a lot with with different people about that idea of you know of integrating the director and the director writer relationship in television. And you know, sometimes it seems like. You know, in, in in Canadian television, we we always have this this frantic, desperate uh, struggle for power that doesn't really help in any way. Um, but what strikes me about uh, Michael is that one of the things that everyone's saying about it is how clearly it demonstrates the aesthetic an aesthetic that is that is greater than the sum of a good script, that there is something that, uh, you know, that there's so much that that, that uh, Don McKellar direction brings to it. The fact that, you know, the way you make Ottawa look, the way that Ottawa's a character, the, the photography of it, how crisp and how beautiful the entire show is. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about your collaborators there and, and how that, th- that came to be. Um, well, you know, uh, Don and I have known each other um,
1: I keep reading this in the paper we 've known each other since we were fifteen uh, and we we 've worked on a number of things together, um, not that many really but um, uh, the the things that we have worked on have been large projects
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh <clears throat> but we do share definitely the same sense of humor and uh we 're both at the same point in our lives uh you know almost exactly uh, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and so th- there 's a real ease. And we, we both sort of want to communicate the same thing. Um, what, uh, I think when we work together, the the, the work is is more uh, a little more comic than than what he would do on his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's um, a little, possibly a little more beautiful than anything I would do on, <laughs> on my own. Like it ha- right. in, in the sense that it has depth uh, that yeah. perhaps I don't know. I mean, I like to write deep things, but but Don, but Don um, really pushes for that. Uh, yeah. You know. Uh, um, so yeah it's a, it, I mean you you have to you, you're producer and director and writer you, you can't be you can't be fighting with either one of those people you, yeah. ha, you have to all be on the same course you have to you know you have to be speaking the same language and and Niamh Fitchman and, and Don and I are all mm-hmm. in sync with each other Um not not to minimize Matt Watts' role because he was also at all the story meetings and everything like that mm-hmm. but um, but uh yeah, uh, I mean, what was your original question? Because I'm really battling. Uh, you know, I, mean,
0: I I've got a specific uh, one of the examples. Uh, you know, uh, to to anchor it in specificity. One of the things that that I noticed from the last episode, one of the last episodes I, I saw, there's the there's a wonderful scene where the idea of it is that you know you're negotiating the relationship with uh, your book editor. Your character is negotiating the relationship with your book editor because people on television aren't real. And um, I have to keep that in mind. Uh, and, and there's a wonderful moment where, you know, you set up a thing where, where she says, uh, I'm going to this, I'm going to a, a lecture at the museum. Uh, yes, yes. And it's a, te- you know, and, and no one, and I go to meet men, which is ridiculous, no one ever ever goes to it. And the lovely thing about the way it is, a, a perfectly realized moment in, in that, your, your character David decides to go and and you know he joins her there and there's just very yeah, tight on her sitting there and the thing that's interesting about it from a writing standpoint is um, you know you you she has to get up to let you in and she stands up out of the frame and yeah. you get in out of the frame and we miss the moment where you realize she's there what we see instead is the two of you sitting together and it's the moment after that where she is just so absolutely happy that, that you have joined her there and you're sort of opening up to her too and it just strikes me that that kind of like that's a, a precise moment that is so real and so human and so beautiful that that only comes from people that are really like in sync yeah yeah that
1: was really nice <laughs> uh, I think it's, it's one of the well because you know again it was um, Don interpreting what I wrote because mm-hmm. I wrote very little in that moment obviously mm-hmm. Um, and it's the first time, I think maybe the first time you see David smile in the in this series. Yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah. Uh, they both have the same expression on this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but the, but the, yeah, that was a, a that was a beautiful idea of his to to extend you know to to, to really um, convey the emotion of the moment without words. I mean, yeah. it's it's he he did a similar thing with uh, when I meet my. David meets his ex-wife at the spider. Right, yeah. Um, and she shows up with her lawyer. Right, yeah. Uh, the first shot of that is is really quite beautiful, too. It's, mm. it's shooting up at me on a bench, There's narration going on, Um and you see the giant spider sculpture <laughs>
0: looming <laughs> over,
1: yeah. yeah. And I mean, I had written it, to suggest that perhaps there's sort of a Black Widow kind of moment that was going to happen. Right. And then he just ran with that, right? And it becomes, it's it's the biggest thing in the frame and it's yeah. uh, it becomes this absurdly symbolic uh, image.
0: I mean, it's it's funny. It's one of these things as a writer, you know, you're so, it's so punishing and awful <laughs> sitting there trying to craft it by yourself and stuff. And there, you, you, you wait for those moments, you pray for those moments where you see it realized and it's, uh, it's, as good as you would hoped it would be. And then there are those moments where you get where hopefully something comes up and it's so much better than yeah. than you'd saw, seen it. And I think that's why we – that gets all of us through the, <laughs> the the suffering and the bad times for those <laughs> yeah. kinds of moments. Yeah, and you hope you have
1: more of those. Yeah. I mean, also editing as well. You mm-hmm. can see – I mean, that's that's even uh, more heartbreaking as a writer. You know, you try uh, – the biggest challenge of writing a 22-minute t- script is, is sort of um, – so. Is that Don texting? Uh, it's
0: Don, yeah. He's saying, uh, yeah, no. Love the spider. Yeah, love the spider.
1: He, uh, it is, is Is getting it as close to time as possible before you start shooting. When you're moving very quickly, it's very difficult to do that. Uh, it was extremely frustrating on, on this series. Um, uh, all the all the early drafts of the scripts were 30 pages. Actually, all the shooting drafts were 30 pages. <coughs> the second episode timed uh, at, a, at about 18 minutes of first timing. Ooh. And then the way it says it can't be right, yeah. uh, and and um, then then it timed after looking at the pilot and the rhythms of the pilot. It timed to about twenty three minutes. Fantastic, I thought. Every episode after that timed about five minutes longer. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so it was this this heartbreaking exercise in cutting and cutting and cutting. Um, um, and then you know you, you you try. I mean, normally like when I'm I, And Slings and Arrows, I was a show running that. So I, I my main job was to. Um, you retain the integrity of the scenes during the shoot, as we saw what the timings were. You know, yeah. um, uh, but in in this instance, because I was on camera so much, it was really difficult to do that job. I mean, I I, I, I only had brief moments in in the trailer and afterwards when I was exhausted.
0: Right. So it, and and the days off is when I did most of the work. Let's uh, you just mentioned. So let's let's circle back for a second because uh, you know for those for for. Anybody that might be listening, or anybody that that might be here that doesn't know the full context of Bob and and you know the Second City background and the uh, and uh, the Drowsy Chaperone, of course, a huge Broadway success and absolutely uh, you know well storied and well celebrated uh, musical. Um, uh, you also have responsibility for probably the last uh, one of the last shows that everybody in Canada looked at and said, "Oh my God, this thing's unbelievable!" Slings <laughs> and arrows, so. Um, Tell us a little bit about, about what what was it what was it that you learned on Slings and Arrows in terms of that collaboration aspect because there's some interesting stories about the kind of people you you collaborated with and you know and uh, I've heard things about you know sitting around the table and arguing about the creative and all that sort of stuff and and to so many people that's just such a perfectly realized wonderful human beautiful uh, uh, balance of comedy and drama uh, you know I have my box set and it's never far from my TV I love mm-hmm. that show. Uh, you know, I can't believe you managed to give William Hutt a valedictory. It's just like now we're gushing. So, but 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 it really <laughs> is. It's one of my favorite. It's oh, well, it's one of my favorite you. shows. Not one of my favorite Canadian shows. So, tell me a little bit about, about that experience and and sort of what you learned and what you learned from there to to bring to Michael.
1: Well, I, I think uh, yeah, that was a that was an, an intense experience. That was it was uh, an amazing experience as well. Um, but Mark McKinney and Susan Coyne and I basically had. You know, therapy sessions around her kitchen table for years, mm-hmm. and uh, and we used all of that in mm-hmm. the show. Um, so, uh, uh, I mean, uh, th- it was it was a great exercise in learning how to structure something of that size because six hours a season is a lot. I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's uh, three feature films, um, uh, and just sort of uh, uh, breaking down the thing on a uh, progressively smaller scale of threes basically um and really understanding the structure and movement of every episode and every act within the, the season and, and the season as a whole uh it was a great exercise in organizing story mm-hmm. um it was it was a real education in story for me because um mark mckinney is uh gifted at coming up with story in fact you know he can't stop, right? So it's it's always changing. We have to say no, no, no. You have to. We have to stop. <laughs> you got to nail it what down, Mark. Happen yeah. And accept that this is what is happening. Uh, <laughs> um, and and um, and mainly the, the the big discovery, although it was always there for me, but the big discovery was that mixture of, of tone. That's what I'm most proud about yeah. with respect to slings is um, when a moment can be uh, um, quite serious, and then and then. Uh, undercut with a moment of comedy, or or the opposite can be true too. It's it's a difficult show to label in terms of what it is. Yeah. Um, and it's I think it's the closest thing in tone. Michael, it Slings is the closest thing to Michael in tone of mm-hmm. any show I can think of. Um, it's something that Mark described as a dramma. Um, a, a Comedrama. Yeah. yeah. I said it in the press. Yeah, because because. Uh, it wasn't a dramedy, and it wasn't a comedy, and it wasn't a drama, but yeah. it, but you know it was um, a comedy with dramatic elements, it, I guess.
0: Now here's the just uh, I'm so glad to actually get this on tape. Now I'm going to ask you to recount it and stuff too, because Uh-oh. it seems like I'm always I'm always the guy that, that you know I've I've always got to have this uh, uh, this cheerleading of Canadian TV, and but but I believe in it, so. Um, Tell us about the South American format sale and adventure with with slings and arrows because that's the <laughs> great Canadian thing that nobody here knows about and I, and I think it's I think it's truly amazing. So just blow blow the horn a little bit on that. Yeah, I mean they they bought it and they reshot the entire for first, se- first two I
1: think didn't yeah. they do two eventually yeah. um, scene for scene they translated it and they sh- reshot the entire series and it was uh, uh, it was Plana Morellas was it yes 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 yeah. and it was called. Um, uh, sound and Fury, rather than Slings and Arrows. Right. I don't know why. Right. Uh, but um, yeah, that was exciting.
0: And, and <laughs> I mean,
1: I, it was exciting because of the bizarre evolution of the series. I mean, we, you know, it began on, on uh, pay cable in Canada, so the audience was uh, smaller than yep. the numbers we're getting now. So tiny. And uh, and then it, it it had this bizarre life in America. It was. Um, on uh, you sold Sundance a lot of channel.
0: Sundance Channel subscriptions on that show. Yeah,
1: I mean Americans just ate it up in a way that was so surprised us. In fact, one year it was the number one uh, DVD import um, over yeah. things like Doctor Who and these amazing shows. Yeah. Um, so, so and I would get stopped in the street by America. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then so we so it had this larger audience in America, and then it went to Brazil, where their potential viewing audience is like twenty million people a night. Yeah. And they uh, did, and the premiere and of the really, Brazilian really version really was good.
0: something like eighteen or nineteen million Amazing. people watched yeah. it. So that's what Canadian television can do, right there, and you know everywhere yeah. except you know in Canada where we don't celebrate it. Um, but anyway, so I didn't uh, get any money for that, by the way. <laughs> well, <that's laughs> just, just to keep
1: things in perspective, it was really exciting. Bob, te- television's still television is still
0: television. It's still television. But um, all right. So anyway, so uh, back to – uh, was there anyone else sort of you work with? You mentioned, uh, you know, obviously Matt was in the story room. Tell me about the story room for oh, – Well, I was getting to – well, first yeah. Matt
1: Hannum, the, yep. the editor, the sort of lead editor in the series. Oh, good. It was, okay. was extremely important, uh, especially since we, we the scripts ran long so often. Mm-hmm. I mean I had to rely so much on him. And, and honestly, uh, he's uh, a genius and uh, so many of the – Key elements of the series, like the Harry Nielsen theme, for instance, mm-hmm. was something that that uh, he brought into the whole mix. Um, anyway, genius.
0: How was the? Uh, to tell us about the title sequence too. It's a, it, uh, it's also one of those wonderful things where, in a world where we, where the lost art of the title sequence is is lost, um, you manage to have something that it conveys the tone of this series so well uh, that I almost can't believe it. It's this tiny little perfect piece of work.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of sort of controversy about it. It's exactly what I had hoped except for, you know, a couple of images of myself shirtless. (laughs) Right, uh, Which, (laughs) But it was interesting because, you know. The Brazilian version, it's going to be, your character's going to be buff and, you know. It was part of this exercise for me, to be perfectly honest, was to kind of deal with where I am right now Mm -hmm. in my life. So um, the fact that Jenner and I had had sex on the show is a huge deal for both of us. That we were able to sort of expose our bodies right. in that way and still claim to be sexual, at, you know, at the age that we are. Right. Uh, so so I was I was into the credit sequence in theory, and then, <laughs> and then and then you know I started saw myself brushing my teeth, all messed up, and my shirt off in the first shot of me taking my shirt off. And maybe you don't even notice this, but, of course, I'm completely focused on it.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, I, 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 I hilariously sucked in my gut for every take. <laughs> right. Uh, except the one that... Of that, course. That was yeah. technically the best. Yeah. Um, and Patricia Rosema, one of the directors on the series, came to me and said, you have to do something about <laughs> that credit sequence. And uh, so there was like, all of these conversations about, uh, in post, taking some of the light off my stomach. It was the most humiliating discussion I've oh, no. ever had. And then finally they, they, uh, <laughs> they managed to find a take where I, I was sucking in my head. Oh, so God. I still look fat, but I look like <laughs> a lot better than I did in the original. Oh, but I do God. like it a lot. And, and, and interestingly – the the uh, the one note uh, that we got from the CBC early on in the process um, was to include the Michael character in the credit sequence. Right. And it was never our intention to do that because we wanted to, we just felt that the show should open and clearly stating that it's David's perspective on the events that you're about to see. Yes. Uh, and that his and that his morning is the entire preparation for his day ends with the moment that Michael arrives, but we never see him. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, we made a, a concerted effort to, to, to change the credit sequence to include Michael. And it made no sense to, mm-hmm. to see him prepare for his day. Mm-hmm. And, and even to have him present in the last moment of the credit sequence made no sense. Yeah. So I don't know if we did the right thing. But it just felt
0: right. You know? Well, it's, it, you know, it's interesting. Uh, again, the, the other thing that's great about it is the way you, the way you use all the elements. You know, I mean, there's so many tools – there are tools that we use as writers, and there are tools that can only be used as editing, and there are tools that can be used—a combination of the director and the, and the writer. Ho- director, hopefully, improving on what the writer has on the page. And but I mean, you use a lot of those things too—the hard cuts, the hard cut into the the action, and the uh, the use of music, the use of of different kind of transitions and shots. I mean, it's a very filmic series. It uses all of the colors in the palette, and it uses all the tools in the toolbox. Um, was that sort of how much of that is you how much of that is Don how much of that, is, that is, is is sort of talking about it talking through the trust that you guys have built up over the years you've collaborated um, I I mean, it's, mean, it's both of us
1: but it's ba- but, but definitely we had three film directors uh, you know we had Alison McLean and Patricia Roseman and Don McKellar so it's, it's going to look beautiful right uh, uh, um, but but yeah we. I mean part of the challenge of writing a show about therapy is that you're for at least three scenes, an episode, you're in that room with two people in chairs. Mm-hmm. So it was a challenge to make that visually interesting. Right. Um, so the the set was built with walls that blow out, and we moved the camera in different places, and we had high <laughs> shots and just to sort of, you know, shake it up a bit. Right. Uh, so so I think Don was always thinking about the the aesthetic of the show from the very beginning, and uh, and and the other directors went right along with it. They were happy to make something that looked a bit lush. Right. We also really wanted to show off Ottawa because it's quite a beautiful city. It's, it's never well, really it's, been photographed in that way. It's
0: absolutely beautiful, and you know, that, I mean, I felt like cheering the first time I saw the Museum of Civilization or whatever. And you, you know, you you really you show it off. You go there. It's it clearly is, it, you know, we we make so much any town and so much Toronto, but it's not really Toronto. That yeah, yeah. you know, it's so great to see, you know, Parliament Hill and the spider and the and the the rid, like, just almost. Rid, ridiculous canadian flag, just like flapping flapping yeah, yeah. flapping and, and quite beautifully and yeah, yeah. uh yeah, and it really crazy. is something it's something to see it's, uh, My it's agents, a like,
1: show. caa said well we'll never sell this in the states so <laughs> what was their reaction to it that's, oh well there you yeah. go oh well
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right well maybe on that maybe that, maybe that's a good place to to break and let's let's uh, watch uh, a couple of episodes now and see what we've been jawing about and hopefully uh for most of us, it sounds like it, it we'll will be enjoying it again. And, uh, well, yeah, I'm I guess we've seen it. the
1: pilot. But as writers, it's, it's always interesting to talk about the pilot. So it just yeah. seems like that's what we should see. I also think it's always interesting to see a pilot from a writing standpoint because not only the introduction of characters but the structural elements of the show itself are introduced in the pilot. Right. And, um, you know, the the sort of thematic elements, obviously. Uh, And I, uh, the thing I like about this one from, is that, that uh, we managed to convey, I think in performance too, it sounds weird, but I'm separating myself from my own performance, Yeah, sure. the, the, only, the only moments where he's completely different physically when he's with Michael, he's, yeah. there's a much, there's, he's so much calmer, yeah. and you know, it's, uh, that, that was the whole key idea in, in the show, really, that they are only comfortable really when they're with each other. Yeah. Um, so I think it's. I think that works. I think that comes across in the in the pilot. So happy it absolutely that. does. It's A it, subtle it, thing, you
0: know. What's interesting about it is that you know there's one of those first 101 screenwriting letter lessons is the introduction of every character. You must learn everything you need to know about that uh, about that character. And the interesting thing about that teaser, the teaser in this pilot, you can actually see that you know it's it's a doctor patient relationship. So we think we know uh, how that's going to go, uh, except for the fact that they're clearly enjoying each other's company so you know there's something different going on there and then it gets weird (laughs) yeah yeah you know so there's a it's a nice sort of the shape to that scene is really great in a
1: way well another thing that inspired this whole show was that uh i was in therapy myself for a long time for a long time and uh but i was in traditional talk therapy right uh and uh one day I saw my therapist at Ikea with his kids, <laughs> and I didn't know he had kids, you know. I mean, it, and it was, um, I've been, I, like, I was like 10, over 10 years. And I, I just hid, because I didn't want to, uh, I didn't I didn't want his children to see me. <laughs> I didn't want to hear him say, don't, don't, you know, dirty brain. Yeah, as, uh, like it would be body snatchers, like yeah. they'd <laughs> point at you and scream yeah, exactly, or something, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. That's but a, it was that idea of this incredibly intimate relationship, uh, except that I know that you know one side doesn't know anything about the other side, and, and I knew nothing about this man, right. even though he, I told him every deep dark secret I've ever had.
0: What else? Uh, approaching the pilot in terms of when you're sitting it down, and you, what else? What, what were your goals in terms of what you what you thought? Okay, this is what I've got to get across to set up the series. What were the? What were the problems that, that, that you saw or the, the things that I absolutely have to get this across and uh, and sort of how did you attack them and translate them to what we just saw?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, that's the interesting thing about story, I guess, because, um, uh, you know, I, I think it's all about character. So mm-hmm. story choices are, are either dictated by character or, or arbitrary to some extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, so, if, for instance, the, the, the main arc of the series, which is the book, was uh, – you know, I was looking for some, rather than a a, 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 complicated plot that went over the 12 episodes that there was something that basically provided a timeline, mm-hmm. uh, but, but, and yet had weight. Mm-hmm. So the book was the perfect choice because, um, it was, uh, the ultimate betrayal of, um, confidence mm-hmm. on the part of David. <laughs> uh, um, so, 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 so one of the, so one of the tasks in the pilot was to establish the book and the fact that, that, Although it's only hinted at that Miguel that Michael doesn't know about it, mm-hmm. um, uh, the other the other very difficult thing to choose was exactly what Michael did for a living, right? Um, and we're, there were many conversations about that, and and it, and it was, you know, was it a cliche kind of him working in a comic book store, or or you know? Then we realized, well, we're, you know, we're in Ottawa, so he's probably yeah uh, a clerk and yeah. Some low-level clerk in, in some ministry, and then we literally went online to see what all the ministries were, right? Uh, and f- tried to pick one that was um, funny, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but not not too funny, right? So you know, he was in fisheries for a while, and we thought, no, so but but then but then seniors again, it's based in character because yes, he would be more comfortable with with older people, yeah. Uh, it's, it's not, there's no um, sexual threat or anything yeah. like that. So it's kind of a natural choice, uh, and then and then the fact that he was in some way in the marketing department because he's slightly creative, but he's suppressing those creative urges because of all his anxiety. Um, so, so every every sort of story point was dictated by character.
0: Well, uh, and there's and there's lovely stuff in there that you leak, leak too. It's like here's a guy. I, I mean, you know, I, I like it when I, I describe it as spikiness. You know, you like things <laughs> that are spiky that are not just everything proceeds from a. You know, there's a checklist of well, this person will have to be like this, will have to be like that. Putting marketing into that is good. The fact that this guy that seems to be a basket case has to do a pitch at work, yeah, and that's not the problem. The problem is not the pitch. The problem is where it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of interesting and complex. And there's also that idea too of the. I mean, you know, from the moment you see that that first visual introduction of the office, you think to yourself, you know, if I worked here, I I would probably need terrible amounts of therapy as well because it's just like so of cr- crushing and oppressive, and, uh, and you know, you also get a very clear sense in that first uh, scene with him and his co-worker exactly what that kind of relationship is as well. Like yeah. just the torture of it.
1: Yeah, and again, there are two, I, I would have to say from a writer's standpoint, functional characters, which the, mm-hmm. the Carlos and Jasmina characters mm-hmm. provide a specific function in the story. They had to be created because of the story elements that we chose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but both actors bring something that you know wasn't on paper. I mm-hmm. think, uh, I, uh, particularly Pablo, because it became really fun writing his voice. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not quite. He's, he's so trying to be cool all the time, and he's not doesn't quite have English down completely. So his his dialogue was really fun to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and he he becomes I really. I didn't like that character at all after. We, <laughs> so nothing's going to happen with with Carlos. Mm-hmm. But but I, I liked Pablo so much and he you know he brought this comedy to the role and then we we sort of found things for him and and uh, similarly with Martha Burns and mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: And then there's the other and then there's the other thing that the the loveliness of the absolutely perfect note perfect introduction of the character of your secretary who just has that one scene.
2: Yeah. And weird. you have
0: no conception if you watch the show going on how like that's going to become an absolutely key important character. Yeah. But the funny thing is I what you watch that now and all that and it's hinted at. You know like I mean that there's something about the 30 seconds she has on screen that says that this is going to be important. Do you approach that is that a, is that just an instinctual thing is that are you looking for that how, how I mean you know
1: well, again, we're trying. You know, there's a bit of misdirection there because we wanted mm-hmm. her to look uh, clumsy and ineffectual mm-hmm. right off the bat, and uh, I don't know if we hinted at anything. Gra- certainly, if you're John Doyle, you didn't get any hint of because <laughs> <laughs> he complained about the women being facile and you know about yes, you know, wow. uh, based on the first two episodes. Uh, but and, and yeah, I mean, Sammy's babbling away, but it's but again, we're also presenting different manifestations of neuroses and anxiety in, yeah. in all the characters. So, so that's kind of what she's to share. Her character is actually quite complex with what she's been through in her life and the yeah. sort of hints that you get. Um, but, yeah, I mean, um, Tommy, uh, who plays Claire, as another, uh, hilariously, Claire was not going to be that significant when we first envisioned the series. Right. When we did the test screening of the pilot, you know, what do they do? They're actually tapping something or something. Oh, yeah, so the, how the much dials, they, the dial, how do how I feel about this? Yeah. And, yeah. So as soon as Tommy went to the whoom, yeah. She scored higher than any other actor in the pilot.
0: And you did you now? Did you test? And we had to you, reshoot that scene, by the way. Were you testing that tragic. pilot while you were still working on scripts for the rest of the series? Uh,
1: it, no, we tested uh, that soon. Uh, it was, I guess, over Christmas ish. So of. was so, there? So still, we, yes, we had to begin writing the series. Um, they they really liked the pilot and gave us the sense that mm-hmm. they were going to order it, and so we, we were sort of beginning to work yeah right away but we didn't actually get the official order well you know january-ish
0: right yeah but see i but so i mean you know again one of those things i mean it's it's less bad now but one of the great things about you know uh, television can is supposed to be able to be responsive and the fact that you could do that, that you could you could look at that dial and say people love this character and actually go in that direction is is interesting
1: yeah i don't know if it's uh, good
0: <laughs> yeah, it can be good. I mean, it can be I bad. Don't
1: know. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a tapestry. This bizarre idea to, yeah. you know, imagine what plots would be like if you just on, if you only put things in that people found
0: interesting. Well, because it would be unbearable. It would be unbearable. But it's also you know, I mean, there's this great terrible uncomfortableness we have with the idea that uh, the business side of the business, who you know, essentially is always trying to make make something that is ephemeral, quantifiable, and that's yeah, you know, no, that's I mean, what that's, that's all and about. They have to, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, we're learning that lesson now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> but as these, so, so tell me. So when you're sitting down, so that's the pilot. You, you set the table a little bit there. You, I think you really get a good sense at the end of that thing. Uh, you know, by the end of that uh, that pilot, when I was watching it, I, I, I realized, okay, now I, I think I get the. I get the concept of this thing this they have this great co-dependent relationship that's kind of they only function really well together and they're both kind of you know and the the doctor is together and Michael's a basket case except for the fact that the doctor's kind of a basket case too and they're all yeah. you know and and you really get that sense of okay this is not going to be an interesting thing going forward from that you've got to come up with you did 12 yes so where do you move from there in terms of figuring out all right, where, where we want to take this in the – We actually
1: outlined 13 to be specific, and then we, we lost uh, – And, you got, and then,
0: then you got the CBC cut. <laughs> yeah, but they, you know, in their
1: defense, everybody did. So Absolutely, it was the yeah. budget. It was blame the government.
0: Right. Uh, um, Except we, we love the government because they've affirmed their commitment to the CBC, right? Uh, yes. Yes, yes. We love you. <laughs> Please. Yes. We love you, James Moore. You're wonderful. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, basically, the, um, the, the, this, the, the book defined the timeline of the series. And, and to a certain extent, the relationship between Sammy and David mm-hmm. defined what would happen in the first third of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but clearly, um, because of this codependent relationship, we, we knew that the second act of the series had to involve a crisis in that relationship. Right. So the first act ends with, the I've been writing a book about you. Basically, right. Um, the, for two years, and it's going to be published. You know, it's what he he tells Michael, and then and then the, the next three or four episodes are all uh, that relationship in crisis. Yeah. Until Michael is finally able to deal with it, and and then and then it really becomes about the about David's own. Well, you'll see. Yeah. But it becomes more. It focuses more on David once that relationship is reestablished. After but it's
0: great happened. because it, you know in that old sort of hoary writer cliche, you've got the, uh, you know, literally in that thing. You get from his from David's burbling indication that he hasn't told Michael that he's writing the book. So you you know you you take the gun out in the first act, and you really and you know and you and you fire that in the episode that you know it's 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 a few episodes later when that pays off. Yeah. And now you're talking about where it goes as far as that goes. Do you, so I mean, do, are you a big believer when in that sort of element of when you're planning out twelve episodes, do you look at, at a group of twelve as you know a mini three act structure there that I you've do. Got a, yeah. yeah?
1: I mean that's not always a good thing, and and the CBC was was not too thrilled with the level of seriali- serialization, mm-hmm. uh, and and it ended up working against us when when they switched us from Wednesdays to Tuesdays, right? Because then who who wants to tune in episode three of a right. <laughs> a serialized you know comedy? Sure. Uh, um, uh, but again, w- because this was all about character, you wanted story. You know, I mean, you you it sounds kind of contradictory, but but you, you wanted to see those characters evolve in some way, so story is is inevitable if mm-hmm. if uh, somebody is going to be at a different point six episodes in mm-hmm. emotionally. I mean, you know, uh, so so th- so we see the emotional arc of both those characters over the twelve episodes, right? Um, so that required a certain amount of serialization. The
0: wonderful perhaps. thing, I mean, not to you know not to uh, uh, contradict John Doyle at all, because. Why would you ever do anything like that? He said some nice things. He too. said some very nice things. Um, but one of the things that's interesting too, in terms of we're going to we're going to watch another episode now. It's going to be and it's about you know five six episodes later. But what what is interesting? What struck me is really great too is that you have two separate scenes in uh, subsequent episodes where basically um, you have Jen Irwin's character call. I mean, when she finds out the whole thing about. You know, that you go to Michael's place and, like, she completely calls you, calls the character yeah. on how sick and codependent the relationship is. Yeah. Which I thought was a really interesting thing. And you've got another scene where where the secretary, who has been comic relief up to this point, does the same thing as well. That basically stands up to David and, and really has a lovely scene where she's, like, you know, standing her ground and showing him that maybe he doesn't, you know, and, and you see in that moment – the lovely thing is, you see in that moment that you can almost see your character gain respect for her, which I, which is just it's. I mean, it's a crazy thing to see on television. It's amazing mm. that in the context of a comedy, you're shifting these relationships. Um, like is that part of the planning too? Is that is that accidental that you get to well, that? No,
1: for sure. As I say, we wanted to you know introduce people bit by bit. So and, and definitely the the character relationships would change over the the course of the series, but also. The viewer's appreciation of of the characters, uh, you know, changes as from episode to episode. You, okay. She's she's not just a clown. Uh, yeah, she she's actually the most centered character in the show. Mm-hmm. But you don't really realize that until much later. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. So now, why don't we? Uh, we're going to pick it up. We're going to watch a, a later episode. This is actually the episode that airs tonight on CBC. So, why don't we uh, pick that up? Six. Episode so six. At, at
1: this point, D- David has just told da- uh, Michael about the fact that he's been writing a book and also michael has been in a relationship with claire the secretary for a while now which david is not happy with right i think that's kind of all the information you need
0: <laughs> yeah. great terrific I guess before we open it up to the crowd a little bit, is there anything specific you want to say about this? I mean, you know, now it's interesting to see. I,
1: I haven't seen this cut before. Oh, so right. So let's yeah, get your yeah. reaction. Well, there's an entire storyline that was cut out, which actually I, I prefer that, mm-hmm. you know, to, to uh, the alternative is cutting the guts out of a scene, right? Or right. Many scenes. So there, there was a, a storyline with Sammy uh, wherein she was asking, for it's stressing the importance of having this release signed that, right that Michael hasn't done that so they can't move forward. there's a huge legal issue right uh, um, But actually it, it does look unnecessary seeing it yeah. <laughs> now. plus the conversations about the release are not that interesting. The, the, this is an unusual episode because it's extremely talky and there's no mm-hmm. nothing really active in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the only scene that we where we go somewhere new is the Roger scene, uh, which was cut down quite a bit actually but anyway uh it was interesting for me to see <laughs> interesting yeah
0: um tell me about uh your network uh relationship on the show tell me about the notes process and sort of how they've guided it what sort of uh, feedback have you gotten from them how do you how do you have a particular philosophy of working with them
1: and
2: can you hit serialization
1: on that, that? uh yeah i i uh, because it is an issue and it always was for the network and and uh we we tried to sort of recap story elements as discreetly as possible. Uh, we t- had talked about last week on Michael Tuesdays and Thursdays, mm-hmm. but it, it really wasn't the story. It wasn't serialized enough to re- require that we we felt. Uh, and eventually, the network just sort of embraced it because they were liking what they were seeing. So they sort of embraced the fact that it's an ongoing story, and you know that's what it is. Um, the The notes they, they were good. I mean, they 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 were sort of notes on. Uh, on every draft and notes, uh, on every cut, uh, and they were reasonable. Um, well, I, my particular technique is to, uh, anticipate, uh, notes to the point where I have a draft ready when mm-hmm. <laughs> the notes arrive, mm-hmm. you know, so, so it's, it's, you know, I, 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 I want to stay a- ahead. Um,
0: what do you see as, because this is an ongoing thing, it's not just with CBC, but uh, it strikes me that, that that notes are always more fraught with comedy because comedy is a, uh, a minefield to begin with. Um, how much do you approach from trying to take their note, and how much do you approach from trying to, uh, you know, uh, stick true to your intent? I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a delicate balance. There's a lot of diplomacy involved, obviously. Um, we don't agree with everything they say, and and uh, um, c- certainly uh, at the script level, often comedy is very difficult to communicate. It's mm-hmm. often some subtle moment, and it's based in performance, and and uh, and. But you know, Jenny and Samantha, the executives that were involved, they really seem to understand that. And and you know, if we said to them we believe this will work. It's a performance moment, not a scripted moment. Then they, they backed off. They were extremely respectful actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was very surprised at that.
0: How do you, uh, I guess, uh, you know, it, a lot of, the short answer to it is, is process and by proving it. But, um, but obviously that requires a certain trust. So for people yes. who might be trying to approach that relationship, how do you build that trust with your network people? How do you, you know, build, because it is a partnership and, uh, and you know, if, if there, that trust isn't there, you're not going to be able to do good work. Yeah,
1: I I, I mean, frankly, you know, we 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 have a resume, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of that, uh, but also we approach these things, as I said in the beginning, as a collaboration. So we we tried to we we always assumed a collaborative uh, position on the part of the network that it wasn't you're going to do what we ask you to do. And they, they, they never like that. Mm-hmm. They, in fact, they, they always said that these are just suggestions. When we, when we did get defensive about a few things, they, they always said that these are suggestions. You know? mm-hmm. The one thing they were really disappointed with is not including Michael in the credit sequence. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and we did make an attempt to do it, but we actually didn't have the, the budget to reshoot it. So mm-hmm. it was we had to work with what we had, and we just couldn't make it work to satisfactory. You know, it. So, mm-hmm. so that was a drag. But, uh, but generally speaking, they were extremely supportive, especially with the script.
0: Interesting. Okay, um, I'm going to ask it, so nobody has to. Nobody here has to ask it, but I'm sure a lot of people would be interested. Tell tell us about how Ed Asner became involved. Well, I had written Wasserman. We we wanted we
1: wanted to create a character, uh, David's therapist, who he confides in, who is um, extremely ineffectual. Basically, we wanted we wanted because David is is so bad at actually dealing with his problems. We, we felt he would choose somebody who was ineffectual to be mm-hmm. his therapist. Uh, as it turns out, Wasserman actually is quite incisive at times, but mm-hmm. but most of the time he's so scattered that it's it's an absurd exercise in trying to communicate with him. Um, so I sort of wrote this character, and then uh, uh, we had the uh, list from the casting director suggested list, and Asner just jumped out. I, I said, "Well, if we could get at Asner, I'd be thrilled." Mm-hmm. And uh, it came back. Well, Ed likes to work, and then we just sent him the script, and uh, he jumped on it immediately. He was great, and I mean, he's he has a sort of early days of Second City background, mm-hmm. so he's uh, really into improvising. So we we sort of always shot long with him and just riffed with him,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, although ultimately we cut back to the script as much as possible. But but he was uh, he was really really great to work with, and it was really exciting. Actually. It's
0: terrific. so exciting to see him. In in it, you know, like I mean, I mean, it's really great for anybody who, who's you know raised on Mary Tyler Moore or whatever. It's, Bizarrely, it's in
1: my life, I've met almost everybody from the Mary Tyler Moore show. <laughs> it's just, this did weird thing. Did you get to meet Ted Knight? Well, he died. Oh, no, he doesn't. Oh, I did not obviously. meet him. Okay, but that's met great.
0: Everybody else. Um, <laughs> that's uh, uh, you know, going back to the episode that we just saw. One of the things that's really interesting about it too is that you, you walk that fine line between, you know, you don't want. David to be an ineffectual therapist. What what's kind of nice in that episode that we just saw is that you can play. You you manage to have your cake and eat it too, and play both the levels. In that we have the scenes where David is reaching for the lifeline and saying, "Oh, you're concerned about your father," (laughs) and uh, and really, you know, and Michael is is pushing him on it. Well, no, he's you know the issues between him and David. But the nice thing about it that I that I find interesting is that. You know, David is a good therapist because Michael actually—he it, re- it really is actually about his father on some level. On some level, there was truth in that. Yeah, yeah. that was interesting
1: because that reminds me of one of the network notes. They said we're afraid that David will seem un- unsympathetic mm-hmm. if he if he suggests to Michael that it's about his father. Yeah, I like yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was, yes, f- he yes for about two Obviously, minutes. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, deflecting, you know, it, yeah. it's no question. That it's a creepy thing that he's doing. He's in control of the situation, and he's saying, "You know, you know what this is. You know what this is," <laughs> and he's clearly uh, grasping, as you say. But yeah, there is an element of truth in it. Yeah, no question. And he gets to a place partly because of what what Michael does himself. You yeah. know, he gets to a place of, of truth eventually.
0: Interesting. Um, l- just before we open it up ag- again, uh, maybe why don't we? Um, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about. Uh, you know, you've got you've got such a great breadth of the kind of writing you do and the kind of writing you do in comedy. And obviously, you know, Michael and Slings and Arrows is so different from some of the other stuff you do. So, I mean, do you have a basic sense of, do you approach writing for the stage, writing for sketch differently than you approach, you know, writing something more long form? How do you, uh, do you compartmentalize those or is it just all from the same place?
1: I think so. I think I it's, you know, the genre basically defines... The mm-hmm. approach, but um, at this point in my life, I rather I would rather write this type of material. Mm-hmm. That I mean, it was interesting watching this episode because uh, it's it's one of the more dramatic episodes. If it wasn't mm-hmm. for the slogans section. Yeah, there, there wouldn't be any real big laughs in the in the episodes. It's quite, it's, you know, it's kind of sad in many ways.
0: Yeah, <laughs> how many how many slogans were there? How many? How what was the list? How many did you come up with those right away, or what was was our longer list of what you were going to come up with?
1: You know, it was bizarre. It was it was once we came up with the idea because yeah. we were we had sort of said, "What do we do?" There's going to be this pitch that we're working towards. What 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 can it be? And then we realized what it would be. Based on where Michael was psychologically, right? Um, and that was one draft. That was just like, wow, just wrote it. It was like, oh yeah, that's the idea. And it was where we never changed a word actually, surprisingly, in that okay, okay. sequence.
0: Let me just step in here for context, for anyone who's listening on the podcast here, not to spoil anything, but what you need to do on your wonderful iTunes or on the CBC app, watch episode six, and when you you'll know what we're talking about when you get to the <laughs> slogan section, right. but it's a. It's a sublime moment in the in the uh, episode six of of, of this the series. Um, and interestingly,
1: there's all these references to other work that Don and I have done together in the mm-hmm, show. Mm-hmm. There's there's some references to Twitch City that are pretty obscure, um, but there's for those of you who've seen Slings and Arrows, there's this whole thing about slogans and the theater rebranding itself in season two, and this is mm-hmm. this is a kind of uh, homage <laughs> to that,
0: right? Um, do you uh, do you uh, does all the does this sort of stage digression and the the kind of you, the, the the writing for the stage that you've done a lot of in the last couple of years has, has that changed you as a television writer? do You think at all?
1: Um, I, 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 it, well, I was writing in TV in a in a sense before I wrote for the stage, or at mm-hmm. least there sort of happened once a bit. But I but I I was more deeply into television. Um, and at that time, I was always writing with actors in mind. So, I mean, what I would say about the theater is that you're working with the director and writing with the actors at every stage of development, and that's really what we did, both mm-hmm. with Slings and and uh, with this project as well. Mm-hmm. So, it, I, I mean, I love working that way.
0: I would. I hope you're going to forgive me on uh, on this, but you know, there's at least a quasi journalistic impulse here, and, and you know, it's legislated for me in my position that, that at some point we have to ask. Anybody to talk about the state of comedy? So, uh, the the as such as is on television and stuff. I mean, do you have any thoughts about that in terms of the in terms of what you see, in terms of uh, what you think about where comedy is right now, or uh, how you think what you do fits into that?
1: Um, pathetically, I don't watch a lot of TV. <laughs> uh, I, I watch. I, I tend to watch stuff that's a couple of years old because I'm watching it on uh, Netflix. Right. <laughs> uh, I watch a lot of British television. Right. A lot of the stuff that I do is influenced by if you if you see anything like something even like uh, Steve Coogan's stuff oh, uh, like Saxon Dale right. or or Alan Partridge or something I mean there's right. lots of is it the, again that tone that sort of central character who's essentially pathetic yeah uh, and his his struggle to to be to have dignity is basically at the center of this show and to a certain extent Slings and Arrows as well as Jeffrey Tennant tries to kind of find his place in the world Um, but I think from what I have seen you know I think it's extremely exciting time I know that dealing with my in the states the uh, cable has so influenced network television that the most interesting stuff on network television is very cable like Mm -hmm. Um, and I I hope that we're sort of going there I mean reality the reality thing is sort of beginning I hope to Mm -hmm. peter out a bit because that's why I stopped watching TV to a certain extent
0: well, we're, we're at such an interesting cult- cultural moment always because, you know, we're only a year or two past the what has happened to comedy on TV. Comedy is dead. And now, you know, Modern Family comes along and a bunch of other yeah. thi- things come along. And actually, you know, if you look at the context of the current television season, you know, anything that's decent is is the comedies. The dramas are all, you know, sucking hard wind. But uh, but the comedy is sort of having a bit of another rena- renaissance, I guess. And I guess sort of... a. Uh, uh, when you look at your own work, I mean, what is it that you, I mean, where do you want to go from here in terms of, you know, uh, more television projects and, and more sort of stuff you do? I mean, do you, do you foresee working more with CBC? Uh, do you see, you know, what sort of stuff, if you and your druthers, if you could, you know, uh, rely on your, I'm going to get to a question eventually. <laughs> if, if I mean, where would you want to go if you had your perfect project or y- your ability to do whatever you wanted?
1: I have absolutely no idea. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I—it's I, a pretty good position I'm in, find myself in right now. There's lots of opportunities, and yeah. and uh, um, I really don't know. It's 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 what I'm dealing with at any particular point in my life. Mm-hmm. To be perfectly frank, uh, it's very hilarious, you know, that he says the the writing, finding words to express what you're dealing with is in is, itself cathartic. I mean, that's. The only reason I'm, I write. Right. It's, it's a type of therapy. It always has been that for me. Right. Um, so it's sort of where I am. I hope I don't fall into the trap of writing about children because I have a four year old now. Right. I hope I don't write these horrible things about families raising kids, but right. I probably yeah. will at some point. Uh, There's good
0: cash in that. It, apparently
1: there <laughs> is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I really like writing these large stories with, you know, over hours right. i mean i find that fascinating i love to see characters just uh, just reel out over a long period of time uh, but at the same time i'm dying to write a short uh comedy on you know in new york That'd right be great because there's a real need for that and i see it there sure. uh so so like there's i'm torn in a couple of directions but it really is uh about what what just is, is inspiring me at the moment i guess uh I've never cared at all about money, so that may be the answer. Oh, that's to,
0: that's. A, there's a strength there. Can I? Well, uh, there is. It's
1: entirely liberating. I mean, like, like p- p- people are saying, well, you know, we should do, be doing multi-camera comedies because mm-hmm. that's where the money is. You know, I mean, I have no idea how to do anything like that.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying to reach for for a Lipton question here, and I guess the closest I can come my to one… my favorite tree. Yeah, your fa- if you were t- uh, no, uh, my f- uh, the closest I can come to one maybe is. What's your favorite thing about working in Canada? And if you could change one thing about making television here, what would it be?
1: Um, I guess my favorite thing is that I, I believe that we have extraordinary creative creedom- freedom here, especially in, t- in television, mm-hmm. to the deg- a degree that's completely unheard of in the States. And, and Americans tell me that all the time about Slings and Arrows. We love that show. We love that show. Mm-hmm. We would never be made here, you know, and it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the wonderful thing. Uh, the terrible thing is that nobody watches it, mm-hmm. so you you really feel like you're, you know, at a point you feel like why am why am I doing this? Nobody's seeing the work, mm-hmm. um, and you know, for those of you who know, we were having a real problem with the show. I mean, we we're really struggling to get people to see this show. Yeah, I, now yeah, yeah. it's
0: it's you know, gone from dire to you know you've had a there's been an uptick in the last couple of yeah, weeks. I,
1: I hope, but you yeah. know, it, it's a, actually an ex- incredibly complex issue. I, yeah. I, like first of all. A CBC, uh, you know, when Jenny approached me, it was to, to create something that was like nothing on their network. Right. Um, and, and so you we succeeded. did that. And of course, yeah. you know, the people who watch the network are not watching the show. Yeah. Um, interestingly, I, like, I, I've i never been one to focus on ratings, but being in this position, I have no choice. So I see it's amazing. Uh, when, it, when it followed Dragon's Den, um, people, uh, which is one of the most highly rated shows on CBC, people were tuning out before. Uh, the credits of Dragons Den. They were turning to Survivor, right? You know, so they had absolutely no interest, right, in, in seeing our particular type of show. It's not like they were turning to Modern Family. They were turning to Survivor, right? Um, and and similarly, you know, it was very brave of them to move us to Tuesday nights. But comedy night on Tuesday nights yeah. is Rick Mercer 22 Minutes and the Debaters, which are yeah. all presentational, yeah. you know, social satires, and again, nothing like our show. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I don't know um, how to get an audience, <laughs> and I and I know that people watch. I don't watch TV in a conventional way, and I'm sure people don't now. Yeah. I mean, you PVR, you watch online, you you know, you steal it, you do all kinds of things. I, I actually, that was hilariously the most jarring thing for me watching this was that I'd forgotten. How intrusive commercials are! I, like right. I literally, he's yeah. like, "Oh my god, they go on forever. <laughs> right. yeah. This is yeah. ruining the show." Yeah. You know, so I, I just totally forgot about that. It really
0: is terrible, and you know, and and you actually, um, and you know, the thing about this show is it's less bad than some, in that you do you have. Pretty, you have good, solid act outs. You get some of these Canadian well, shows that sort of <laughs> dribble into the yeah. dribble in the commercial, and you're like thirty seconds into. Oh, right, this is a Keats ad. Uh, you know, I, I I I didn't know where I was. Um, well, the
1: challenge with slings is we had to write it both ways because it was it was shown on uh, some uh, network with commercials and one without. Right. So we had to. <laughs> that was tricky to write. It, you know.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Um. Or anyway, well, you know what? The only thing I can say, just so we're not completely depressed here. Um, the thing that, that I keep going for always w- with you know and I hope this that it turns out this way for Michael as well is that you know the story I always I always go for is that if you go back and you look at the office on BBC they showed it on BBC two they showed it almost all the way through the first series nobody was watching and word of mouth slowly caught on and they actually reran it again and it 's then that it became a hit and if, you know if BBC had pulled it after six that's it there's no david Brent and there's no us office there's no Steve Carell, and you know Sometimes these things are, you know, who knows where they come
1: no, from. No, I think that's true. And, and uh, I, I hope that the CBC sees it that way. Basically, mm-hmm. I hope they, they stick with it. You know, I mean, I, I would like to, I was hoping for three seasons, if possible, to mm-hmm. really explore it. Um, but I think it will take a while to catch on. I mean, it is different. It, it is.
0: But it's certainly something that I think you should definitely be proud of. And I think everybody in this room, I you know, there were, there were genuine thorough laughs all the way through both the episodes we screened because it really is truly it's a funny show but it's also a, a show that has a great amazing amount of pathos and truth to it and it's a, it's quite an achievement you should be very proud of it oh, and at this That's point it. why don't we we'll we take the <laughs> that kind of sounds like the ending but but at this point, I've yacked on long enough, and uh, I'm sure all of you would like to ask, uh, have your chance to ask Bob something. So uh, why don't we open up the floor to, to questions? Anyone? Right at the back, then. I love the way you use editing to sell
1: the jokes and the humor and the tone. Uh, are you part of the editing process, and uh, is there anything you discover there that uh, was maybe a surprise? Uh, in this case, I, I, I wasn't. Uh, only when I saw rough cuts w- that were uh, that were ruining a gag or something like that uh, I would say something but gen- but I, I stepped back just, it was an unusual situation for me because I was acting in the show and I I, I just literally had, could only be responsible for script development and performance um, so so I and the, the team was so great that I just sort of said you know go I can I, I, the way I, I just um, looked at it was that I was... Allowing my work to be interpreted, and uh, I thought they were doing a great job. It, it, yeah, it's it's fascinating for me to see. There are moments I definitely don't agree with. You know, there are directorial moments. There was a close up on David's lips that I thought was inappropriate <laughs> and, and didn't help the gag. Uh, but you know, overall, I mean, I, I, I've got to give up that kind of tendency to control. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's they're very very smart. You know, smarter than I am, by the way.
0: Great. In the row right there. Can you uh, talk a bit about the, the point of view of the show? Prior to this evening, I'd only seen the pilot. Uh, it's called Michael Tuesdays and Thursdays. You said that you cut; you didn't want Michael
2: in the in the opening credit sequence whatsoever. That it's, it's from David's point of view. Yeah. Um, but to me, prior I, prior to hearing uh, prior to hearing you say that, I wouldn't
0: have thought that. I would have thought it was sort of like a buddy comedy or. Yeah, or maybe like sixty percent, Michael's point of view. Um, how did you? Uh,
1: well, interestingly, did, the first how, draft.
0: How did I come to this conclusion?
1: The first draft was more, uh, more about David than Michael, and uh, in the first draft of the pilot, so so that really you only saw Michael, in session, you didn't uh, you didn't see him in his life at all, okay. uh, and then partly that was CBC note, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. wow, Michael's really fascinating. We should, it's hilariously parallels what yeah, exactly. the character. You, yeah. you know, he <laughs> tries to write a book about himself and he the character Michael is the interesting one. Uh, so we we balanced it and it was a good thing too because just structurally I had nothing to cut to when it was all about David. I had to, to sort of complicate his life in order to allow the cuts. So this way I could cut between two two stories, independent stories. Uh, but ultimately everything is filtered. It's It's sort of uh, it, it, there are two parallel journeys, but the one that I think is more significant is David's. Um, I think Michael could survive without David. I don't think David could survive without Michael. Um, and the, the, so, so the credit sequence and the narration were important to establish that it is still his, his POV.
0: But in many ways, that's a. I mean, that's a very subversive thing. And that, I think you sort of, even if you don't articulate it quite that way to yourself, I think you watch two or three episodes of that series. And that's exactly what you get, and that's what makes it so interesting and unusual. That idea that the that the relationship is exactly the flip of what of what you might think it is. Yeah,
1: I mean the one the one character is progressively uh, improving his life in mm-hmm. a in a very focused way. He's dealing with things, checking off the list, as we say in the pilot. Right. And uh, David is absolutely incapable of doing that. He's right. he's avoiding everything. Uh, He's not dealing with things. So right.
0: No. <laughs> that was an excellent question. Thank you. And a uh, little notation to the precious writers in the audience, there was that last answer there's something about how notes uh, the network notes actually help the writer, right? It doesn't always have to be, you know, like the link teeth.
1: No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. I mean, you got to I think you got to go into these things with mutual respect. Mm-hmm. I mean, or it's just a horrible nightmare.
0: Great. Know. Someone else? Oh, surely there are more questions than that.
1: Yes. yes <laughs> uh, um, the actress's hair and the fact that we uh, rebuilt the set uh, and so we're, <laughs> we're shooting when, when when Claire enters and drops her folder and everything like that we see the reception area and uh, the reception area in the pilot was completely different from the one that we shot with so f- what we saw through the door didn't match in the rest of the series right and her hair was completely different and the network really objected to her hair which is I don't know so, unfortunately, the, the, the first version was she, yeah, like, it was really hard to reproduce it, so it wasn't quite as good. It was only a short moment, but, mm-hmm. but you know, those people turned the dials when they saw it. So, anyway.
0: Interesting. Yes? I know you used uh, Susan
1: Coyne and Martin King as well, yes.
0: we yeah, got a question. I'm sorry, just a little off mic. A uh, question about the other sort of uh, writing collaborators and the people you brought into the process.
1: Yeah, it was uh, Katie Ford, Mark McKinney, and Susan Coyne. Susan wrote two, and, and uh, Mark and Katie each wrote one. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, it's tricky to come in. To, especially they wrote the later episodes, too. Uh, Katie wrote uh, uh, 11, which is, is really 11 and 12 are a two-parter. So, in a sense, we wrote... Uh, we collaborated with her in LA and, and you know me here it was uh, or in Ottawa. Um, it, it it was they it was f- quite fascinating actually. They all wrote really strong scripts. Um, we we we, um, we like the most important stage for me is outlining, uh, and uh, I like detailed outlines. I like I like them to be in final draft. With every scene in the show, mm-hmm. at least eighty percent of the scenes in the show, uh, fifteen pages would be great. Sixteen pages. Right. So, so you you sort of have some of the dialogue that uh, to, to suggest the comedy uh, and the content of the scene, um, locations, everything, the sense of how they cut from scene to scene. Um, and uh, and so we 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 it's it's extremely important, especially when you're looking at a twelve-episode arc that is serialized we have to be there uh, really hand-holding during the outlining process. Then the script writing process is, is much easier after that. Um, so so we had the episodes fairly solid structurally before we started shooting, but it became apparent that the voices were off uh, uh, because these were later episodes. As we, as we shot the first six, we really got a sense, and I was rewriting as we were shooting, and we really refined the voices. So when we got to the last third of the series it was kind of a horrifying thing I had to do a ton of rewriting that I felt really bad about but it was just necessary It was it, the com- comedy is in the nuance of dialogue and character and, and it just wasn't there in those scripts mm-hmm. uh, so so yeah you take people like Susan Coyne who's a fantastic writer and rewriting her material just tears your heart out and Katie Ford as well who I'd never worked with before and was recommended by the network and she, she was she was great to work with um, but has had huge experience, much more than I have in t- network television. Interesting. It's just the way it is. Uh, middle in the
0: back there. It feels like you have to dial back in the edginess, considering it kind of feels like a cable show, but it's on network.
1: Like, would you make it edgier? If you could. It's not edgy edgy enough for cable, actually. Yeah. So that's like, I you mean, make it yeah. Would we make it edgier? I, I, do yeah. you make some edgier? I guess. <laughs> well, actually, you know, slings—that was the major note from the network. Uh, it was. Always more sex, more young people. Those, mm-hmm. the, the, those are the only, really the only two notes through the entire three seasons. So each season we were faced with the difficult task of creating uh, an interesting storyline involving young people having sex. Right. Uh, and it, uh, so in this case, we, we 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 had ridiculous discussions about how often we could swear. Like we could say we could say shit once, and you know, uh, so there was a we had to tone down. Material because it was a CBC, for sure, but uh, I don't think the the actual story lends itself to anything particularly cable edgy wise. You know,
0: it's really funny too because it's it's one of those things where it's like, y- if you were to edge it up for cable and you lost some of the heart, you're kind of you know like it's really it goes for it. The, the show go it's it there's nothing. Stale or aesthetic or dry about it. It's you actually play your emotional moments. You actually feel those sort of things. And I'm not sure existing that in a template that was more edgy would be good for it. It's almost like the, you know, it it feels networked to me. It feels like this well, does feel like we a network show. We were trying to
1: create a show for the CBC. We weren't yeah. we weren't saying we're going to create this HBO show and then we're going to sneak mm-hmm. it by the network. Like mm-hmm. we, we, we we were trying to create something we would want to watch on the CBC. It was mm-hmm. always the case. That's why. I didn't recast just for American sales. That's mm-hmm. why we feature Ottawa. It's like it was this, this is a CBC product. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's we think it is.
0: Interesting. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes, back middle there. How detailed do you get when you're beating up the story, the episodes, and, and how long generally do you take uh, to prefer each episode?
1: Specifically, story. Story is the h- hardest part for me, the most time-consuming part, and it's it's yeah, it goes seems to go on forever, and I hate it. Basically, <laughs> um, uh, um, we we get, have to get very detailed because I don't want to think about story at all when I'm writing drafts. So so that's that's why I like those outlines to be scene by scene, and where I know where I'm cutting right. and everything like that. And I, I like to think of story as kind of this clothesline that you hang uh, characters on, um, so that the. the is so we should put all the structure in place, uh, and then and then have the freedom to write around story, and uh, completely be in the character's voices without having to worry about structure or story
0: elements. It's funny uh, to hear you talk about it. There's there's some writers I think that like, you know, that believe to go with that that outline and then discover things in the draft. But it sounds is it fair? Would it be fair to say that is writing a draft on on some level reductive to you? Like is it is is it trying to get as much as you can get out of the outline, but then, you know, getting at some things a different way?
1: Well, it's it's about I, – I think I find the outlines to be very broad and the, mm-hmm. and the drafts to be very subtle. Okay. I can write drafts very quickly if the outline is, is very strong. Um, so uh, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you definitely discover things, obviously. I mean, there are things that can come up that may change everything, mm-hmm. but um, – but generally speaking, it's, it's about freeing yourself from story and allowing the characters to – because there's nothing worse than exposition. And, yeah. and, and so I'm trying to write around that all the time. Right,
0: right. Right at the back there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to to exactly quantify. I mean, definitely the story elements that we create are dictated by the needs of the characters. So we have a fairly clear idea of who the characters are, Um, you know. And and plus, we're all all the writers. uh, I don't know about Katie actually, but all the writers are actors. So we're we're walking around the room and doing voicing the characters. Mm -hmm. You know, again, Mark McKinney is hilarious in the writing process because. He enjoys nothing more than reading his drafts aloud and doing every character in the thing, and he's fantastically good at it. <laughs> um, but yeah, we sort of we sort of we sort of know the characters pretty well. Um, you know, it's it, it, I, the, for me. I apply some of the rules of improv. Like I like to put the characters, two compelling characters, in an unusual, an unusually provocative situation, and that reveals character. Um, so yeah. We know them, but we discover them in the and when we're writing. If that makes any sense. It sounds pretentious, but it's not.
0: Yeah. Meant to be. Does, does it
1: sound that pretentious?
0: Um, I can make
1: it sound more pretentious. I could speak, <laughs> say some of it. In, I'll repeat it in French. <laughs>
0: he is. He is wearing a beret. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, do we have uh, anything else from the uh, audience here? One or two more? Yes.
1: Um, well, again, those British comedies, the smaller character-driven British comedies, I absolutely love, and I know Don does as well. I Matt does actually. Um, um, in some ways, we were looking at the Bob Newhart Show as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were trying to write. It, it's a Bob Newhart Show had the sort of sitcom, sitcom language stripped from it. What actually would be going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, to, to some degree, we were trying to make that kind of whatever postmodern Bob Newhart Show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean. Um, I, I really think we approached this, kind of, trying to support the, the idea, and we weren't, we weren't necessarily looking at other sources. Strangely enough, I mean, it was um, bizarrely similar to drowsy chaperone in that sense. That we didn't, we were just writing the idea, and it just grew. It wasn't anything that we were drawing from. I mean, it's not like it's totally. We find it incredibly normal. Uh, it's it doesn't. T- it's not like weird it's not a weird show at all it's a completely normal show it's i i wish all tv were like that in some way you know like there's just characters they're deep there's they have you know moments of drama they have moments of comedy and it's not a bizarre thing but you just don't see it very often strangely enough it's very been very difficult to name another show that it's like mm-hmm. I, I don't know can anybody i mean really it's uh, it, the CBC showed promos of the show during Little Miss Sunshine I thought well that's smart because that is very similar to this mm-hmm. but in terms of television I don't know it's is that, difficult is, yeah. that, is that why you think they're having
2: difficulty programming too
1: yes I guess yeah I mean yeah because they can't yeah what are you going to pitch it as? The postmodern Bob Newhart show? Nobody's going to watch that. So
0: yeah. Well, you've, you, I, there's also an argument to be made that there's nothing. There are no. There's no other scripted programming on the CBC right now. I don't think this is saying a bad thing necessarily, but there's nothing else that you would say that would be particularly nuanced or subtle. I mean, I guess the most subtle. I mean, I guess you could maybe say being Erica, but you know, but a lot of their other stuff is very. Straight ahead, broad, mm. and Michael is not that at all. It's yeah, I think
1: Republic of Doyle is a really good show, personally. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it's an entirely different animal. But, right, But, yes, yeah, it's a very well-written sure. show. But. Okay. Uh, we had a, a question back here. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, at what point did you know that you were going to set the show in the <laughs> okay, is it Yeah. Kind of Ottawa's fabulous. I'd never spent any time in ottawa i had, my sister lives there and I've never really visited her <laughs> so where did Ottawa come from then um the government of Canada <laughs> okay good uh we had to film outside Toronto and the the, right. the first uh which was a surprise again it was a sort of bombshell right uh and the the first choice was London and it's like London right. no, London <laughs> uh, psychiatrist and urban kind of comedy yeah. And then it was like
0: set set in a place that you're always thinking about the other place that's way better that has <laughs> yeah. the same too m- close yeah, yeah. and yeah. then
1: literally Sudbury came yeah. up and I was like oh, no. I don't know don't know anything about Sudbury right and then right. and then we and really, and I were just talking he's like well Ottawa because we literally drew a circle on a map and right because ha- you have to be a certain distance from Toronto <laughs> like, like Ottawa. Oh. <laughs> And then Don, I said, Don, what do you think of Ottawa? He's like, oh yeah, very neurotic city, inherently neurotic city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, and, then it, and we were became really, really excited about Ottawa. Yeah. And it's a beautiful place to film. I mean, it's got it's way more attractive than Toronto. Yeah. Uh, architecturally, um, and uh, and uh, it's a great city to shoot in. Actually, yeah. it's you know great bars and yeah. It's really, it's really I loved it there. I loved it there. The most. Uh, the uh, most affordable housing of any major city in Canada, by the way. So there if you're you looking go. for a house, go
0: there. Film Film Ottawa. You know, we'll, we'll insert their number here in post. <laughs> um, uh, I think we have time probably for one or two more questions. Yes?
2: I'm interested in how you engaged in the process of writing for yourself. Like, for, like as an actor, like, is that, uh, did you find yourself ever yeah is that weird?
1: Um, I nobody ever believes me but I, I completely don't think of myself in the role at all until we start shooting and and because in, in, I've asked the same question about Don, to Don how do you direct yourself because he writes and mm-hmm. then directs himself and and he says he completely separates and you see that guy's office mark he's pointing to himself on the monitor like it's uh, it is a, an amazing thing but I, I, I was writing stuff you know. Uh, and then got to it and uh, sequences in elevators. I have a terrible fear of elevators. And we were, I wrote like three sequences in elevators. With Matt and I, you know, who hates <laughs> elevators as well. And, and, of course, anything with my shirt off, you know. And, it was, and all of a sudden, episode three is all the all-sex episode. I was so proud that I got a, a warning before the <laughs> uh, But if I was really thinking about me before, I would never have written that never, but I was completely separated from it.
0: Interesting, interesting. Uh, anything else out there?
2: When you said you write it in, sort into of the so your pilot, did you have a clear starting point for you? Is the pilot easier to write? Is it hardest to write? Or, or, or was everything equally difficult? You say you fleshed everything out before you kind of fill it in. The pilot so came,
1: the part. it came fairly easily. Um, just because the uh, idea was fairly clear in my mind. I knew... And, and I also knew the end point of the episode, but both the beginning and end point before I started writing. Actually, we knew the end point of the series, literally the final moment of the episode, which is something I learned in theater. Mm-hmm. This one thing, working on these fairly big shows, uh, you spend... Uh, Way too much time on the first act. Or yeah, show. yeah. <laughs> you spend 70, 80% of your time on the first act. And really, it's such a stupid mistake to make. You yeah. should be, you should really be thinking of the end, the last half of the show, the last third of the show, even at the very beginning. And and so we were always cognizant of where David was heading, and to the point where we had the last line of dialogue written literally before we started writing the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the three-act structure thing is something that I completely embraced and, and it helps define everything for me. I knew what I had to say in the teaser. Uh, I knew basically what story points had to come out before the commercial breaks. You know, uh, The harder arc is over the whole series, of course, and that's, it's not exactly balanced in this one. The um, first act is longer than it should be. <laughs> Fair enough. And I should say, by the way, because I've been drinking and babbling, that I'm extremely critical of everything I do. So it's like, seriously, I don't get any real pleasure out of watching this stuff. <laughs> so this was kind of difficult for me to see, especially because I hadn't seen it yet. Uh, but this is a project that I do kind of enjoy seeing. Like it's, 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 it's oh, that's good. It's, no, it's really like, uh, and that's a sign to me that it's got to be pretty good if I'm yeah. able to watch it. Well, you know, we're very as as
0: pleased it. to be able to enjoy your suffering. <laughs> uh, and l- last question. Anyone want to take a crack at it? No? Okay. Um, I want to thank you very much for coming here, Bob. Again, uh, to anyone who's listening to the podcast, Michael's yes. uh, Michael Tuesdays and Thursdays continues on the CBC. You can watch it Tuesday night at N- 9, 9 p.m., 9, yes, yes. 8.30 in Newfoundland. Is that how it Possibly, works? I forget. Yes. Uh Don't quote us on that. It's also available on iTunes, and you can watch it on the CBC .ca, through their uh, online app. Please watch the show. It's, uh, it's an excellent uh, piece of comedy. It's a great uh, piece of filmmaking. Uh, and we very much enjoyed having you here tonight, Bob. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at writerstalkingtv at gmail.com. That's writers talking TV, all one word, at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please log on to iTunes and leave us positive feedback. It helps increase the profile of the show. This podcast is sponsored by the Writers Guild of Canada. The show's technical producer is Philip Vukovich. I'm Dennis McGrath, reminding you what Robin Williams said about Freud. If it's not one thing, it's your mother. Great. Now I feel guilty. See you next time.